Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and look at your word. We ask you to bless this time, anoint it, show us what you would want us to see from these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Lamentations chapter 2, starting at verse 1. We're continuing uh, Jeremiah's lament over, Jeremiah, uh, over Jerusalem's misery and loss. So, starting at verse 1. How has the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud in his anger, and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel, and remembered not his footstool in his day of his anger? The Lord has swallowed up all the habitation of Jacob, and hath not pitied. He has thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground. He has polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He has cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire which devours around about. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that were pleasant into the eye of the, in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. He poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was as an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed his, his strongholds and has increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He hath violently taken away the tabernacle as if it were a garden. He hath destroyed the, the places of the assembly. The Lord has caused the solemn feast and Sabbath to be forgotten in Zion and hath despised the indignation of his anger, the king and the priest. The Lord has cast off his altar. He has abhorred his sanctuary. He hath given up on the, into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. He hath made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of the solemn feast. The Lord has purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out his line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he made the rampart and the wall to lampart, lament. He did langu they languish together. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. The, elder, the elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silent. They have cast up dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The, vir the virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth. And the destruction for the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. So that's half the chapter, so we'll stop there. <laughs> Here is Jeremiah really crying out and lamenting that Israel has been destroyed. And again, we just want to set the stage. Jerusalem is the capital. This is, this is the gem of the whole world as far as they're concerned. There's no place better than Jerusalem. The temple of God was there. It was the center of religious ceremony. And here they are. God has fulfilled his prophecies and said, I'm going to destroy you for your sin. And Jerusalem is destroyed. And here he, here he is lamenting this whole thing and says, How has the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger and cast down from heaven into the earth the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger? Now, daughter of Zion refers to Jerusalem. All right. Number one. Huh? 
Well, in this particular case, almost all these references to, to, are to Jerusalem. Uh, when he says, you know, the daughter of, of, of Israel, he refers to her as the virgin of Israel. Uh, all of these are poetic terms for Jerusalem. And in this one, it's even doubled the daughter of Zion because Zion is Jerusalem as well. So he's going, the Jerusalem is covered with a cloud in his anger and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel. And he remembers not his footstool. He says in various places, Jerusalem is my footstool. This is where I dwell. God has chosen Jerusalem to be his city. For whatever reason, Jerusalem is his city. And if you read through the scriptures, Jerusalem is mentioned all over the place. It's the capital of Israel. It's mentioned over and over again. And that doesn't even count the, the other ways he refers to them as Zion, as, as the mount, uh, the, the temple, all these ways that he refers to them hundreds of times. And Israel's center is Jerusalem. Everything is focused on it. When Jesus returns, he will reign forever from Jerusalem. Thousand-year reign after he steps, comes back to this earth. And then the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven on a new heaven and new earth, and he dwells forever from so, Jerusalem. So when he comes from heaven, he goes to Jerusalem. He's going to go to Mount Olivet, which is just outside. He'll step on Mount Olivet. The mountain will split east to west, and yeah, east to west, <laughs> and he will reign from from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Right. He left at Mount Olive, Olivet, and he will come back to Mount Olivet. Uh, and then he'll reign for a thousand years. This whole world will be, this whole world and universe will be destroyed and he'll create a new one. And, he, and Jerusalem will come down from heaven and, and he will reign from that so Jerusalem. The walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and most of the city was destroyed. When they returned after 70 years, they returned to very little, very little. There was a handful of buildings left. But a city without walls was not a city in that day and age because you were open to all your enemies' attack. Even though it was on a mountain, it was still open to attack. And then the Romans came in and pretty much wiped it out as well. They wiped out all the walls and the, and the, and the temple and knocked down a lot of the buildings. But it has never been 100% flattened, you know, like many other cities. So he says, God is not remembered in the day of his anger. You know, it's hard sometimes for us to think that God gets angry. Now, he has a long suffering, uh, long patience with people. Even in his anger, he held off. For hundreds of years, he did not give Israel what they deserved. But when it finally came out, Jeremiah saying, God, you didn't have any pity on us at all. He's forgetting the hundreds of years in between, you know, when God pitied them and gave them grace and mercy over and over again. And yet we do the same thing. You know, one of the things that we have as human beings is we have a very short time span. If it's not happening in our lifetime, something's wrong. You know, we didn't see judgment in our lifetime, so God is being too kind. We did, or we saw judgment in our lifetime. God is being too harsh. We forget all that led up to that point. And, you know, the arrogancy of man to say, you know, you know, my short lifetime, and if things don't happen in my lifetime, there's something wrong. 
and it happens all the time. Uh, and God is saying, you know, my life, my span's a lot different than yours. I see it from the beginning to the end, and I understand it all. And he says, you don't understand. You, you live, you know, even if we lived as long as the ancient, ancient uh, patriarchs, a thousand years was still just a short time in the 6,000 year span of earth, you know, it's, yeah. But, you know, yeah, we think, you know, wow, that person lived to be 100. Yeah. And they're just getting started. They're just getting started with it. And granted, we know a lot of things change in 100 years. But God looks at it and says, hey, I've seen it for all 6,000 years. I have no problem with what's going on. And he says, I am patient. And his patience does have a limit. And we need to be able to understand that he has a limit. When he says judgment is going to fall, it's going to fall. And it, Jerusalem never believed it. They're, they're thinking, we're the capital. We've got the, we've got the palace here. We've got the temple here. God will never destroy. Scissors 2, the Lord has swallowed up all the habitation of Jacob and has not pitied. He has thrown down his wrath. This, he has thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. So he's saying everything that is strong has been destroyed. And you know, God does this a lot to, to nations. When he's trying to get nations' attention, he will take the things that they think are strong and rip them out from under them and make them see that they're not what they think they are. Uh, you know, God says, I am your, your, your stronghold. I am your refuge. I am, I am the one you're supposed to trust in. And if we put our trust in anything other than God, God is going to remove what we trust, trust in. And it doesn't matter whether it's a job or house or possessions uh, or 401ks or retirement plans, whatever it might be that we're putting our trust in, God will say, okay, let's take it out. Because <laughs> he wants us to trust him. And here's Jeremiah saying, all of our strong cities are wiped out. You know, he has taken away all the land that our kings have owned. He's taken away all that's strong. Everything that we trust in has been taken away. This is a sad place that, that, the, that he's looking at. He's looking at all this great kingdom that was there and saying, we don't have anything anymore. Matter of fact, we don't even have a country. God has taken it all. Verse 3 says, he hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, he has burned against Jacob like a flaming fire which devours around about. He has cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. When you read the term horn in the Bible, it usually refers to strength or dominion. So it's the strength of Israel has been cut off or the dominion of Israel. Sometimes it refers to the kingdoms. Uh, when you read Daniel and you see all these beasts with horns on it, it he, Daniel said that those were all kingdoms. And oftentimes it is talking about either strength, depending on the context, either strength or dominion and a kingdom. So he says here, he have cut off all the strength or dominion of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy and burned against Jacob like the flaming fire. He's pulled back his right hand. His right hand is where the sword is. And he says, instead of attacking the enemy... He has drawn back his hand to away from the enemy so the enemy can take out Israel. And, and there, you can almost hear an accusation against God. God, how can you let this happen 
to Israel. It's, it's you who have done it. You could have defended us. And this is a true statement. God can defend his children. Oftentimes, though, if they deserve it, he'll let bad happen to them. And this is what's happened to Israel. And Jeremiah is looking and saying, God, you, you pulled back your hand. You didn't defend us. And the enemy struck with great vengeance. I, sometimes I wonder, because Jeremiah was one of the prophets all the way up to the destruction, and he kept telling the king, if you do not repent, God's bringing judgment. God's bringing judgment. God's bringing judgment. And then when he sees the judgment, he's sad. You know, almost like he didn't expect it. Um, and I don't know. That's what I'm reading in here. He's like, all, you know, he's, he's, not, he's so sad that all this has happened, and he knew that it was going to happen. And I kind of think that, what is, about the disciples? Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect after three days, and yet they didn't believe it. How easy is it for us to not believe what God tells us? Yeah, because it just doesn't seem real. Yeah, we think, you know, especially when we're living in his grace, we're, we're seeing his grace, we're seeing his mercy, and then all of a sudden, judgment falls. And we're going, God, what happened? You know, all these blessings you've been putting on us, and now all of a sudden, everything has fallen apart. And I think that's where Jeremiah is at this point. He's prophesied, he told the king it's going to happen, and yet, when it happened might be that he just didn't understand the ferociousness of it. He didn't expect the temple to be destroyed. He didn't expect the walls to be destroyed. He probably expected the king to go into exile, the people to go into exile, but have something to return to. You know, just like the disciples. They, didn't, they saw Jesus to be the Messiah who was going to get rid of Rome, and when he died, it's like, okay, you know, what do we do now? You know, I'm disillusioned. You know, what I thought was going to happen isn't happening. And I think Jeremiah was in that same boat. You know, yes, the king was, we deserve judgment, but he didn't expect the city and the temple to be demolished. Verse 4, he has bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary and slew all that were pleasant to the eye of the tab in the, in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. He poured out his fury like fire. These are strong words. God has drawn his bow. Not only has he stood back, but he's actively engaged in the destruction, is what he's saying. And he said that they slew all that were pleasant to the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion, in the temple. He says people were dying in the temple. The priests, the worshipers, the ones who supposedly would follow God we're dying in the temple. And this is his shock. He says he poured out his fury like fire. Now, I have never personally seen a forest fire or a large fire sweeping across. Some people have. And, you know, the problem is they can move very quickly and they're very destructive. You know, all I've done is seen them on, on shows. And if they move half as fast as they seem on the, on the shows as they do in real life. And they can turn real quick. And turn real quick and... They devour everything in their path to the point where you can't even get away. And this is his description of this attack. Everything moves so fast. God was burning everything quickly. There was no getting away from it. Verse 5 says, The Lord was an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed his strongholds and has increased 
the daughter, in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Note in here that he says he has destroyed his strongholds. And this is kind of an interesting point. At this point, he's recognizing that all this belongs to God. You know, and we need to understand, we are stewards of what God has given us. If God decides to take something away, it's his right. He owns it. If he decides to destroy it, it's his right. Just as we have the right, if we own something, to destroy it, get rid of it if we, if we want, uh, sell it. You know, uh, sometimes people get vindictive and destroy things rather than let somebody else get them. And, but God has the right to destroy what is his, take away what is his. We need to really understand that we don't truly own anything. It is all belongs to God. And God can do what he wants with it. And it says, he has increased the daughter of Judah's mourning and lamentations. Up to this point, Jerusalem has been besieged. They've been starving. They've been dying of starvation. They're dying of thirst. They've been suffering for their disobedience of God. Now he's going to take them into captivity and take them into another country. And in that process, the last thing they get to see was that Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. The last image they get is their, their capital being wiped out. This is a pretty big deal. You know, because you think about this, usually what, is, what do you think about your last image of something that you see? That, that is burned into your, into your brain, the, the destruction of a home, a destruction of a neighborhood. And the last image that they're seeing as they're having it burned into their brain is the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And that is what they're going to have to live with for 70 years while they're in captivity, though most of them didn't really believe that they were, that they were going to be only 70 years. They're being taken out, and they're not remembering the prophecies. Even Daniel didn't remember the prophecy until he's 70 years later, and he's reading the book, and he goes, oh, it's been 70 years since we went in there. And then he finds out Cyrus is going to uh, deliver us, and, he, and Darius, you know, Darius is getting ready to uh, end his reign, and Cyrus is next in line. And Daniel's saying, wow, how good is God? 70 years of the day, Cyrus takes over. <laughs> and releases them to go back to Jerusalem. You know, and it, it is an amazing thing when we see the fulfillment of God's uh, promises. Verse 6 says, He had finally taken away his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He has destroyed his palaces of the assembly, and the Lord has caused the solemn feast and Sabbath to be forgotten in Zion, and have despised the indignation of his anger he has despised in the indignation of his anger the king and the priests. So he's going, God has swallowed up the tabernacle. This was what they had their great hope in, the temple. The temple was there. Their hope was in the temple. God will not destroy this because his temple is here. He's not going to let his temple be destroyed. And he watches as the temple is destroyed. And again, I don't believe he thought that that was going to happen. He figured they'd go into captivity. The temple would stay there until they returned. Uh, and he sees it destroyed. And he is now heartbroken at all that's going on with all of this, this, this destruction. He says, the feast and Sabbath, and caused the solemn feast and Sabbath to be forgotten in Zion. 
oh, this is the hard thing for them because three times a year they're supposed to go to the temple, the tabernacle, and worship. Now they can't do this. There's no tabernacle, there's no temple to worship at. All the furnishings of the temple have been confiscated and belong now to Nebuchadnezzar. And we don't know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. It's rumored that it was sent to else places, and a lot of people say Ethiopia. Apparently it wasn't there when it was conquered because we never hear about the Ark of the Covenant uh, after this. So it is believed that the Ark of the Covenant was sent away somehow during this siege and got away. But all of this is gone. He says, all of this is gone. The Sabbath, the, the feast have all been forgotten. They were already forgotten long before this, but Saul, you know, Jeremiah is going, we know we should have been worshiping God. Now we can't worship God. And the remnant can't worship God the way they're supposed to because he understood there was a remnant. God always has a remnant of believers that follow him. Always. When we think that we are the last ones to, to be worshiping God, you need to be, be silent and realize that God has a remnant someplace. Elijah said, I'm the last one. I'm the only one that's worshiping God. And God says, no, I've got, I've got a thousand that haven't bent, bent their knees. You know, you just do what I tell you to do. And God always has a remnant. The Judaism has never been wiped out. Christianity has never been wiped out. There have been times when much of it has been wiped out, but never all of it. There's always been a group of people that worship God correctly. During the reign of the Catholicism, during the Dark Ages, where you weren't allowed to read the Bible or worship God the way, you know, correctly, there was an underground church that was worshiping God and reading the scriptures and following God. There has always been a remnant of believers truly seeking God and will always be. Even during the tribulation, God comes up with 144,000 Jewish believers to be his evangelists. And that's after the church is taken out. There's a remnant of believers always to follow God. Verse 7 says, The Lord cast off his altar, he hath abhorred his sanctuary, and hath given into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They were made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of the solemn feast. So he goes, God, uh, this is strong. God's cast off the altar, and he's abhorred the sanctuary. That's a strong word. That is great anger, you know, great revulsion to the sanctuary. Why? Because at this time the sanctuary wasn't being used for worship. It had been abandoned. Might even have become a junkyard again as it was in the days of Josiah. Where people just, oh we have no place else to put it, put it in the temple. Now, and I don't, we don't want to say junkyard, but you know, basically anything, that, a large storage room, if there was nothing else that you wanted, you dumped it in the temple. And it says God has abhorred the sanctuary because of how far down it was. People weren't worshiping there. As a matter of fact, we know that other altars were being put there. To other gods were being put right in the courtyard of the sanctuary. Of course God was angry with them. It wasn't his sanctuary anymore. They, they were worshiping other gods and other, other activities were going on. And God says, this isn't my house. Destroy it. And this can be happening. And even in our day and age, 
There are so many churches in America and around the world that don't worship God. They call themselves Christians, but God's word is not lifted up. He is not lifted up. Uh, if you were to hear the Bible reading, it, you might hear it read, and that's about all you did if you're lucky. And the pastor doesn't speak upon his, uh, on the word of God and doesn't hold God's truths up, and yet they will call themselves Christians. And God will hate those buildings, hate those churches, because they're not true followers. And we need to keep that in mind. He says that he pours it. He has given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of his palace. He has made, they have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of the solemn feast. So they're, they're rejoicing in the, temp, in the sanctuary, but not toward God. And this is a sad picture as we see and as it's going down. Verse 8 says, The Lord hath purposed to destroy the walls of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out his, the line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore he hath made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languish together. Here's more strong language. that God has purposed. He has reckoned. He has reckoned to destroy the walls of the daughter of Zion, the city walls. And that is exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. They tore down the palace. They, they, uh, and God, it says God has stretched out a line, a measuring line against them and did not withdraw, did not pull his hand back. When David saw God coming over the mountain with the angel of the Lord to strike Jerusalem, he prayed and offered sacrifices and God stayed his stayed his hand, his, his line was drawn and, and stayed. Here God did not stay, stay the line. He says, I, you've, you haven't measured up and I'm going to destroy. God has a measure of humanity. Human beings cannot measure up to God's standards, ever. It's only by his grace and mercy that we are not consumed. Israel never repented and God said enough. Enough is enough. When does God say enough is enough? I don't know. When is God going to say enough is enough in this near future and say, church, come home. It's time to pour out my wrath. Do it soon. I think it's sooner than we think. I am watching, and it's just amazing how fast the end times have come upon us. How fast we are looking at a one world government. How fast we're looking at pandemics and at diseases that we can't, can't uh, overcome. If you watch and listen to the news, the world is calling for a world leader to save them. It, we are so close to this. We are so close to a one world currency. We are so close to a collapsing economy. And all we can do is look up and say, Lord, come quickly. It can be any moment that he calls his bride home and the tribulation period starts. We are that close. Now, it could be a while yet as well, but you know, you look at this and go, God, how much worse can things get before you bring judgment? Now, I think things are going to get worse before, before it happens. I think we're going to start to suffer as Christians again, even in America, before the end. Because he's going to shake out his church and say, how many of you are truly believing in me and how many are believing lies? And we're going to see a shaking of the church. We're going to see a shaking of his people and saying, 
Do you trust me? Yeah. And it is funny because there are so many people not trusting him already and we're just barely starting to see any kind of a shaking. And we're going to see worse things coming before the end. But you know what? It's coming. It's coming and I think it's going to be soon. I'm giving you a foretaste. Now are you getting ready for what's coming? I really truly believe there's coming a day when Christians will be martyred in America. Uh, at the very least thrown into uh, re-education camps to try to get us to change our mind and thinking and then martyr us. It's coming. We need to be ready. We need to start trusting in God, knowing his word, ready to stand for him because things are going to get bad. And I think they're going to get really bad before he comes back for us. I'm concerned for the young people, especially the kids. The education system is out to get them. The uh, entertainment system is out to get them. Parents have their work cut out to keep their children focused on God. And it, we need to be praying. We need to follow up and, and watch all the stuff that's going on because our, our redemption draweth nigh. And every day it's more and more. Today is the day of salvation. And people need to understand they don't have unlimited amounts of the time anymore. It can be any moment. I, on one side, I, get, I look at it and say, God, it's so scary. But on the other side, I get very excited. God, the end things, just as you said they were happening, are happening. You know, maybe the only other better time to have been was being able to walk with Jesus directly. But this is a time that we get to walk with him in trials and tribulations and watch the fulfillment of the prophecies coming. And all of our trials are designed to say, do you trust me? You know, how much do you trust me? Do you truly believe what, what I said? Do you truly believe what you said you believe? And that gets hard sometimes to, to believe what we say we believe because God's going to say, do you really believe? And he puts a test in there and says, I just want to see if you really believe. And unfortunately, so many times we fail. <laughs> so... Verse 9, her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. Her gates are sunk into the ground. The city gates have collapsed. And then he goes, he repeats it. He hath destroyed and broken her bars, which is another word for city gates. <laughs> All right. So he repeats this twice. The city gates have, have collapsed. Her kings and princes are among the Gentiles. They've been taken into captivity. We know that they were taken to Babylon. The princes were taken to Babylon. The royal families taken to Babylon. And it says, the law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. The law is no more. All the rules that they're used to following are now, he's going, we're going into another nation that's not recognizing our laws. And then it says, this whole idea, the prophets also find no vision. And this word for vision is literally communication or oracles from God. They're not being talked to by God. They're not hearing God's, they're not being talked to by God. They're not hearing from God. That's what it's talking about here for vision. This word for vision is oracles, or words from God, being taught. Uh, and it says they're not getting a vision, that people aren't hearing from God. They don't know what to do because they're not listening. Um, the elders of the, of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silent. They have cast up dust on their heads. 
They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of, of Jerusalem now hang their head to the ground. And this is the picture of, should be repentance, even though it's not. This is just sorrow. They're sitting on the ground in sackcloth and throwing dirt on their heads. I've never understood what throwing dirt on your head is all about, but it's a, for them, it was a way to show humility. I'm, I'm totally worthless. I'm, I'm just covering myself with dirt. I'm, not, I'm not, not worth anything. And he's saying this is where they're at. They're, they're in total lament. There's no mention of repentance here. They're just in sorrow. Sitting in sackcloth, pouring dust over, you know, throwing dust up over their heads. And gird in sackcloth, hanging their heads down in shame and, 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 and sorrow. Quite a picture. <laughs> Quite a picture that he's making here. It says, my eyes do, fa- do fail with water. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth and the destruct- for the destruction of the daughter of my children because of the children and the suckling swoon in the streets. My eyes are, do fail or waste away with tears. In other words, he's busy crying. He's, he's in full tears. My bowels are troubled. They're in turmoil. That twisted guts <laughs> that we talked about earlier. I, I love this one. My liver is poured on the earth. I don't know exactly what that means, how to even refer to that. Uh, we talk about a broken heart. They, the Jewish people talked about it being in their liver. Their liver and their bowels. Right? We talk about heart. So he's basically saying, my, my, my liver is broken. My, my liver is poured out. My heart is broken. A lot of the nations did look at the liver as being the, the center of everything. We look at it as being our heart. They looked at it as being the liver. So basically saying, my liver is really broken and poured out. <laughs> All right, verse 12. They say to their mothers, where is corn and wine? When they swoon as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul is poured out, into their mother's bosom. What thing shall I take to witness for you? What thing shall I liken you to you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your breach is great like the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen vain and foolish things for you, and they have not discovered your iniquity nor to turn away from captivity, but have seen for you false burdens and causes of van- vanishment. For all that pass by clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the earth? So here he says, the children that are swooning from the previous verse, they're passing out because of their hunger. They say to their mothers, Where's the corn and wine? Where's the food? Where's, where's dinner? And they faint away as wounded in the streets, and their souls are poured into their mother's bosoms. One of the greatest heartbreaks for a mother is to see something happen to their children. For a father also, but even worse for the mother. Uh, Fathers can get stoic about it, but mothers gave birth to these kids. They nurtured them for the first years of their life. And when their children hurt, most mothers will do anything to keep their children from hurting. And he's saying, here, they can't do anything. They're, they're, they're hurting for them. He says, what shall I take to witness for you? What shall I liken unto you, O daughter of Zion, of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to you or make you like? You know, that I may comfort you. 
He's going, I have no words of comfort for you. I don't even have something to compare you to. Things are so bad, I have nothing to compare you. He's, he's saying, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, luckily, he wasn't around when Job went through all of this. <laughs> um, and he's forgetting Job. Uh, for a breach is great, for your breach is great like the sea. Who can heal it? And when you think about this, the sea. I don't know how many of you have been around a, a great big sea or an ocean and you look out to it and you, you know, let's make it a, a large lake. There are lakes that are so large you can't see the other side. And that is what they're looking at. They're looking, he's, at this point he's thinking of the Mediterranean Sea. It goes on and on and on for, you know, it looks like forever. And he goes, you have been breached so bad that we don't even see the end of it. There is no healing. He's forgetting that the, the prophecy says they're only going to be gone for 70 years. But again, how many times do we forget God's promises when everything seems to be going wrong if we're not careful? This is why it's important for us to put God's heart, a word in our heart, and memorize it so that when we're in trouble, we grab hold of his words and say, God, this is your promise. This is what I'm holding on to. It looks like I'm hanging over the Grand Canyon by a thread, but I'm going to hold on to that thread because you made a promise. And know that he is who he is. Um, he says, your prophets have seen have seen vain and foolish things for you. They have not discovered your iniquity. So here he's talking about all the false prophets. All the prophets that while he was prophesying dis destruction and, and calamity, the false prophets were telling the king, God will never do this. He's, he, you're going to be blessed. He's going to keep you. He loves you. Nothing's going to happen. And Jeremiah comes in. And you've got to think about this. Jeremiah would come in and... Dozens of prophets were saying all kinds of good things about what was going on. And he says, God says he's going to destroy this, 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 this city. How would you have liked to have been Jeremiah? Most of us have a hard time standing up when everybody else is saying something wrong. And Jeremiah was told by God, go speak. His reward usually was to be thrown into dungeon, to be beat, uh, to be thrown into cisterns, uh, being called a traitor because he spoke evil against the kingdom when everybody else was saying good things. And, and they were going, what's wrong with you, Jeremiah? These other prophets of God, supposedly, they're all saying good things. You're saying bad. You're, you're a traitor. You don't, you don't understand. You're not hearing from God. In our day and age, how many times are we told, if we stand up for what God says, you're being judgmental. You're being cruel. You know, your God of love should love everybody because we, he created us this way. It's not our sin that we're following, but his, his bad creation that made us this way. And we need to hold the line and say, this is what God says. But many times, unfortunately, there are so many Christians that are wimps that don't have enough guts to stand up for God and say, well, you know, I guess maybe you're right. You know, uh, I guess I am being judgmental. Maybe there is no absolute truth for us to be based on. You know, or at the very least, we just shut up, which is just as bad because the world needs to hear the truth. Now, they're not going to like to hear the truth. They're not going to like to hear that what they're doing is sin. And we need to say it in love, but they're not going to like to hear it. 
There have been many people that have come to this church, stayed for a couple weeks and left because I would say something was sin and they would get upset because they didn't like to hear that God calls it sin. And we weren't kicking them out. We were more than willing to let them stick around and keep hearing the truth. But they didn't want to hear the truth because their lifestyle was called sin. And that can be anywhere from adultery to fornication to homosexuality to stealing to coveting. Any number of things that can draw people away and say, well, I'm just not going to stick around. That's my sin. And he just called out my sin. And I don't like it to be called out. And here Jeremiah is saying, the prophets have, have seen vain and foolish things. They have not discovered or laid bare the, the sins of the people to turn away your captivity. He goes, if they, had turn, if they had declared God's word, you might have repented. If they had said you're sinning, you might have repented. But too many of them were saying, everything's good. Everything's good. God's going to bless us. And they never repented. Verse 15 says, all that passed by clapped their hands. And this is clapping in derision. It's not saying, oh, you know, it's not clapping in a pause, but it's derision. It might even be clapping. Oh, look what's happening to you. Oh, wonderful. They hiss and wag their head. Uh, and this word for hissing is whistling. And, and apparently there was some, something in this jeering, almost a jeering type of opinion that they were following through. And wagging their heads at the daughters of Jerusalem saying, and this is kind of an interesting, is this the city that men call perfection of beauty? That is Psalm 84.2, that when David refers to it as the city of perfection, and then he says, and the joy of the whole earth, which is Psalm 50, verse 2. So these were, they're quoting the Psalms back to them and saying, oh, this is what you guys said was perfect. This is what you said was the joy of the whole world. Now look at it. Look at the destruction that came upon it. And Satan is pouring out destruction upon God's wonderful city, the city that he has placed his name on. Now, Satan has a city that he's placed his name on as well. It's called Babylon. He's placed his name upon Babylon. And Babylon, almost everywhere, has a bad reputation. As you look through the scriptures, it's a terrible place. It's a, the byword of evil. It is the foundation place where all foreign uh, false religions pour out of. Babylon from Nebuchadnezzar's day. Uh, and God says, Jerusalem is mine. Satan says, Babylon is mine. And so we have the two cities in opposition to each other. Verse 16, all your enemies have opened their mouth against you. They hiss and they gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Certainly this is the day that we have looked for. We have found, we have seen. The Lord hath done that which he has devised. He hath fulfilled his word that, that he commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down, he hath not pitied. He hath caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has set up the horn of your adversaries. The heart cries unto the, their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of, daughter, of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down a river day and night. Give yourself no rest. Let not the apple of your eye cease. Arise, cry out in the night. In the beginning of the watches, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands toward him for the life of your young children that faint from hunger at the top of every street. Behold, O Lord, and consider 
to whom you have done this? Shall the woman shall the women eat their fruit and the children of a span long? Shall the priest and the prophets be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and my young men are fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have killed and not pitied. You have called us to a solemn day of terror, my terrors round about. So in that day of the Lord's anger, none escaped nor remain. Those that I have swaddled and brought up has the enemy, an enemy consumed. So here he's saying the enemies have opened their mouth against them. They hiss and gnash their teeth. Gnashing of the teeth is the grinding of the teeth. It's to show anger and, and pain and despising. Hell is described as wailing and gnashing of teeth. The anger toward God for getting what they deserve. All right. In this case, it says the enemy are hissing at them and, and gnashing their teeth. God, look at this. They got what they deserve and they're grinding their teeth in, in joy and, and all of that. And he says, we have swallowed her up. Certainly is the day that we looked for. We have found it. We have seen it. This is the day. This, this crazy group of people over there that thought they were better than us had a God that is so great. We've been waiting for their, for their fall. We've been waiting to see them fall. This is the way the world looks at Christians sometimes. Oh, those goody two-shoes, those hypocrites, look at that, look at that person, they finally fell. You know, they're no better than we are, and they, and they enjoy the fall of a Christian. Now, all we have to do is repent and be replaced, but the damage we do to, our, to the testimony of God is hard to overcome. As the world looks and says, I knew they were just like us. I knew that they would fall and that they had problems. And this is where they're at. It says, The Lord hath done which he has devised. He hath fulfilled his word that he hath commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down. He hath not pity. He has caused his enemy to rejoice over you. He has set up the horn of, his, of, their, of your adversary. So he goes, God said it was going to happen, and it did. You didn't listen to me, but God said it, and it's happened. And again, he says... He has set up the horn of your adversary or the dominion and power of your adversary again. Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Jerusalem, let tears run down like a river night and day and give yourself no rest. Let not the apple of your eye cease. Cry. Cry in repentance. It's too late, but cry. Very descriptive. Cry, cry a river of tears is really what he's saying here. And then he says, let not the apple of your eye cease. And this is kind of an interesting statement. The apple of your eye. We kind of have the same thing. This person is the apple of my eye. Very, very precious. Uh, the word here literally is talking about the precious part of your eye, the pupil of your eye, uh, the, the very center of the eye, the most vulnerable spot. It's the very, it's, de, it's uh, and daughter is dependent. Small towns, literally the idea of the small towns that are dependent upon a large town. He goes, all of this is, everything that's dependent on you is going to suffer. All the small towns around about you are going to suffer because of your destruction. Well, the entire nation of Israel suffered because of the fall of Jerusalem. Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands toward him, 
for the life of your young children that faint and hunger at the top of every street. He's calling them to repentance. He's saying, repent. All God is looking for when he brings judgment is repentance. If they had repented, they might not have gone into Babylon. Now, God knew they weren't going to repent, but he goes, just repent. When God brings evil into our life because of our sins, we need to repent and then watch his deliverance. Because all of the time, God's bringing evil to say, I want you to repent. It's time. There's a cycle that goes in and people start sinning and God has patience, he has patience, and then he starts bringing in small judgments. And if we repent, we go back to the beginning of the circle and start falling from the beginning. If we don't, God brings greater and greater judgments until he brings a judgment that destroys. And we see this over and over in history. A nation can repent and be redeemed or they get destroyed. And Israel has never been fully destroyed. They keep coming back because God says, you're my people. I'm not going to let you be destroyed. But all through history, many nations have destroyed and lost everything because of their sin. And this is where we are as a nation in America. Our sin is becoming rampant. And we are on the cusp of total judgment in this country. We have everything going against us. And historically, when you get to homosexuality and bestiality and all the stuff that's coming our way, God says enough is enough and destroys a nation. And over and over again, that's been the destruction of every great nation in the world is when they get to, those, get, get to that point. And God says, okay, I've had it. Judgment falls. And without repentance, judgment will fall. It will take God's people praying to prevent judgment. Praying for revival and seeing a revival, a great revival sweep across this nation for to prevent judgment. It's possible. I'm not sure when I look at the, at, the, at the end times predictions that are coming through that it's going to happen, but it is possible. And God says, they faint. Behold, O Lord, and consider to whom you have done this. <laughs> In other words, God, this is your people. <laughs> you know, remember, remember us. Remember, this is your people. Shall the women eat their fruit? This is literally talking about cannibalism. Shall they eat their fruit, their children? So, because of their hunger. And this was happening in Jerusalem during that siege. People were eating their children uh, because of how hungry they were becoming. And the children of a span, and the children of a span long are tender ages, so all the young children were being used for food. How awful. How awful that would be. And that's what it's saying here. Shall the priest and the prophet be slain in the sanctuary? These are the people that are supposed to be following and listening to God. He goes, and they're going to be killed in the sanctuary. And, the, and, the, and these, these are rhetorical questions that are answered, yes, they, yes it's happening. Well, yes, it has happened. And this is a sad statement of what's going on. It says, The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and the young men are fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have killed and not pitied. God said, he's saying the young are dying. They have died in the streets of Jerusalem. And he says, God, you haven't even shown any pity on them. 
I think God showed more pity than he, than he understood. He gets to walk out of the city. The king gets to walk out. And some of the people get to get, walk out of the city and go into captivity. So not everybody's died. God has shown mercy that is not deserved. Because of the condition of the city, everybody deserves to die. And yet God doesn't destroy the whole city. He holds back a remnant, just as he always does. And he goes, you have called as in a solemn day my terrors round about so that in the day of the Lord's anger none escape nor remain. Those that I have swaddled and bring up, your enemies have consumed. All the young have been consumed, he's saying. And technically that would be anybody because everybody had been swaddled, swaddled at one time. And he's saying, God, you are bringing great destruction. He is looking around, and out of the tens of thousands of people that lived in Jerusalem, maybe hundreds of thousands, very few get taken out of this judgment. And he's looking around and saying, God, tens of thousands, 100,000 people lived in this town, and only a couple thousand are leaving. So when he's looking around, he's going, such destruction, such misery. And we look around this world, and how many times has the enemy destroyed entire cities? We don't even hear about most of them. There are cities in Africa, towns in Africa and Asia that are wiped, wiped off the face of the earth because of one reason. Christians are dominating in that city. And Satan runs through with an enemy and wipes him out because he hates God that much. And the sad thing is, God lets it happen. And you're going, God, why would you let these cities of your people be wiped out? But you know what ends up happening is they die oftentimes with such peace and such assurance that many people that are doing the killing get convicted of their heart and come get turned to God. When you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, so many times people would die with great constancy for God and the people that killed them and the people that watched repented. They're going, they have something that we don't have. And this is why we need to be walking with God. And as bad things seem to be happening to us, as times get hard and we stay constant for God, the world looks on and says, I couldn't have done what they did. What do they have that I don't have? And our constancy, even if it means death, can be a witness to people. Our faithfulness in pain and suffering and hardship can be a witness to people. When I have joy and peace, no matter what happens, people look at it and says, first they think we're crazy, which by the world standard we are. But then they look and say, you know what, they may be crazy, but I would really like to have what they have. And they start watching closer. They start looking for other Christians with that same attitude. And eventually, they turn. And they go, I want what they have. Don't know what they have, but I want it. Our job is to stay consistent, follow God with everything that we have in our heart so that we trust him and lift him up. And whether we die or stay alive, we lift up God and we're a witness to the power and grace of God because we have his promises. 
the greatest thing that people can do to us is kill us because then we get to go stand before God and be in his presence. There should be joy in that. You're going to kill us. <laughs> be my guest. I'm ready to go home. You know, and I still remember, you know, think about Paul. Paul was a great witness as they beheaded him. But in recent days, I guess it's a decade ago now, maybe 15 years ago, that picture of the Coptic, Egyptian Coptic Christians on the beach singing praises to God as their heads were cut off by the Muslim persecutors. There are lots of people who have seen that video that say they have something. They were willing to give their life up for their God and they did it with joy. They weren't begging for mercy. They weren't cringing for, for it. They were singing praises to God as they were executed. And I, when I saw that, it was sad to see, but at the same time, I'm thinking, Fox's Book of Martyrs. God is going to use that to minister to so many people. How will God use us? What way will he use us in these end days? Will we have to die for our faith? I don't know. Will we have to stay constant in suffering? Probably. Will we have to stay constant in persecution? Probably. But we need to be able to look to God and hold fast what he's asked us to do and trust him. Trust his word that he has a plan and it's a good plan and that people will be saved from whatever happens, whatever comes our way, people will get saved. Because that's what it's all about. Our goal is not this world. This is not our home. My home is heaven. The faster I get there, the better in one side. I don't want to go out and commit suicide, but the faster I get to heaven, the better. Because all my pain, all my suffering will be over when I get to heaven and I will be totally blessed in my rooms that Jesus have made for me. Re reunited with all the loved ones of all time and all my family that are saved will be reunited with. Heaven is our goal. It is the joy to be there. This world is full of pain. Even when things are going good, it's still full of pain. But our home is heaven where no pain, no suffering, no tears, will, will no, no, no sorrow will be about. We'll be happy. We'll be joyful. We might weep tears of joy, but no tears of sorrow will be in heaven. And it'll be a great thing to have happen. So we need to stay constant for him and hold on to his truth. Whether we feel like it's true, doesn't matter. Truth is truth. Whether we feel like it, whether we believe it at that moment, it's still true. And all we've got to do is say, God, I'm going to hold on to your truth. And grab hold of it. Hold on to it with every ounce of your being when, when everything seems to be going against you. And this is why I like Romans 8.28 because sometimes that's all I'm holding on to. I'm, I feel like I'm hanging over the fire or, or a pit or, or, a, or a canyon or something, whatever term you want, and I'm holding on to the knot at the bottom of that promise and saying, God, all I have to hold on to is your promise. And then he lifts you out eventually. But hold his promises, whatever your promise is, hold on to it for all that you have because it's true. And God, he loves us no matter what we feel. He loves us and has a good plan. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we go about. Help us to understand that you love us even when it seems like all we have is trouble and trials around about us, that you love us and care for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. 
Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.